I said to you last week, and I want to move right along, we said that I believe that as a church, we're, we're in a season of really drawing closer to Him. Not just these few weeks together in this series, Restoring Worship, but as a whole, as a whole year. And uh, that's, that's pushing us, it's pulling us and causing us to learn some things and, and just in our growth. And, and what that means is we set out on this course to find out what matters to God. What matters to Him and His plan and purpose for my life. And uh, what does He value? We've taken different subjects, I said, that, that we've kind of dug into that and get some more understanding of who He is. And, and if I can put all of this into kind of one little phrase that will begin to help us now halfway through the year. What is God like? You ever thought about that? And I'm wondering, he likes you. <laughs> Man, tell somebody, say, God likes you. He, he does. And, and, and the title of this, this series, again, is Restoring Worship. And uh, I want to define this for you again, just kind of out of the, the generic English translation, you know, Webster's. And so you can kind of see what the heart of this starts with. But it really is just the word, the word worship is when you're expressing your love towards something. And not necessarily God, but towards something. We know what that means. And regard with a great extravagant, I love that word extravagant, extravagant respect. Now that extravagant has a lot of different, it can go a lot of different directions. But, and then this one's really good too, it says to honor and to show reverence. And, and I read this statement to you last week and I think it's important to hear it again. And It says if we long to go where God is going and we want what God is doing, we have to move into a deeper, more authentic worship. We found out last week that authentic worship really is to worship in spirit and truth. Now, I want to read a paragraph that I read to you last week. I'm going to read it to you again because in its context and in its amplification of it, it will help you see why we'll be teaching on some of the things we're doing today. But Jesus said, if you're going to worship me, you've got to worship in spirit and truth. And you've got to know what their meaning is and you've got to know what, it's, uh, what he's trying to say there. I want you to hear this again. To worship must be, everybody say must be, in spirit, that is engaging the whole heart. Everybody say, I'm all in. Unless there's a real passion for God, there's no worship in spirit. And I know you got passion for God. Everybody in here does. I understand that. At the same time, worship must be in truth. That is properly informed. That's going to be key for today. Unless we have knowledge of the God we worship, there's no worship in truth. Both are necessary for satisfying the God-honoring worship. Spirit without truth leads to a shallow, overly emotional experience that could be compared to a high. As soon as the emotion is over, when the fervor cools, so does the worship. Truth without spirit can result in a dry, passionless encounter that can easily lead to a form of joyless, joyous legalism. And the best combination of both aspects of worship results in a joyous appreciation of God informed by Scripture. I want to give you some information today. And the more we know about God, the more we appreciate Him. The more we appreciate, the more deeper our worship. And the deeper our worship, the more God is glorified. And I said to you last week that what that's going to help us do is we've got to be willing to question our values in the subject of worship and what it means. And we said that that might force us to reform some of our outside habits. Not only that, it might force us to ask this question I asked you last week. Are we spending as much time in a, in a culture with God as we are spending in our outside loves? And I identified some of those, your, your, you know, your relationships, your friends, your family, your, your job, your work, and all of that. You can go back to last week and, and hear that on the podcast. 
But it walked us down to this next step, and I think this is really important, is because to reform some habits, there might be the things that, what enables us to do that. I read this too. It says, do I have disciplines that show that inside heart disciplines are taking place? And I identified some of those. You, your service, I didn't get to do that. Uh, first, second, and third service, I identified some of those disciplines. And, and just make it plain and simple. Don't make it rocket scientists. Don't make it too big. You know, there's things like reading the scriptures. There's things like praying. There's things like talking and communing with God on a daily basis, more than 15 minutes a day, more than just when I need him in a heart locker, building and developing a relationship with him. Setting time aside, morning, noon, and night, three times a day, once a day. I don't know. You define it for yourself. How much do you need? I need it all day. And my, set, my saying that is that reforming some of those outside habits, asking ourselves that question as I restore worship, we took it down. We stripped worship down to its core. We took all of the fluff out of our worship in this expression, took all of our fluff the past two weeks, and of course we're adding some paint and some primer to it this week. But when I think about that, you've got to ask that question, where, where's my time being spent? And we landed on this scripture last week, in Psalm 139, and we, we made this commitment together, and we kind of made this challenge to ourselves together of going all in. So I'm going to ask you to stand up with me twice this service, okay? Just so you know, and you can expect it now and at the end. So stand up with me now. And I want to put this scripture up on the screen, and, and uh, this will be our heart decoration of this service right now. This will be our prayer. This is us looking up to God. And, and I would tell you to close your eyes, but then you couldn't read what we're reading. So let's just look up here and let's do it together. You ready? For this service, okay? Here we go. Ready? God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. Can we get verse 24, Carson? See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on. Oh, and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. Say it with me. I'm restoring worship. Now, this is going to stretch you. All right? It's going to stretch you. Look at somebody. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. Don't do it if you're not willing to make the commitment. Look at somebody if you're willing you don't have to. You can do whatever you want. But indulge me. And look at somebody and say, I am choosing to go all in. And it looks different for me than it does for you. And you can be seated. <laughs> I gave some room of grace there for some people. <laughs> for that, that's so that person that's going nuts, the other person don't have to do that. You know. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, now listen, worship restored. Let's talk about it, restoring worship. I want you to take it to another level this weekend because worship has an action that follows it. It has an outer expression of what's going on on the inside. And if we look at the, the English word for that expression that's going out, it's actually the word praise. And you take the word worship and you take the word praise and they're kind of synonymous in, in, in their outward expression of action. They have a difference in what they do. Worship is more of a, a, a bowing or a prostrating before God. 
praise takes that bowing and that prostrating before God and expresses it here on the outward. And the thing about praise, as much as it is for you, believe it or not, it's for the other, the person sitting around you. How amazing it is to say, if I can say the word amazing, I would never call the devil amazing, but he's pretty smart to try to shut the very thing down in a church service, in the world, at a workplace, and wherever they are, to get your praise to be shut up and to make you think that you are honoring God with it being closed and quiet because he understands the power of victory in it and what happens but we said that praise is the outer expression of this so the title is simply this week and hopefully you'll have a good time with this is really uh, worship God's way what does that mean what does he like how about this and we'll all understand this what is God's style of worship now, you can go to any church on this beach, on Roanoke Island, all the way to Stumpy Point, and out in the boondocks. Stumpy Point's pretty close to that, but, but out there, Juan well, Jesus is about the same thing. But, no, I'm just kidding for all the, you know, I lived everywhere, so I can agree with all of it. I never lived in Stumpy Point. But my point is, you can go any one of these places and see a totally different presentation of worship and what we have traditionally defined it to look like. And how many have ever heard when it comes to the word uh, service of worship, when it's not, it's more than a service, it's more than that, there's no doubt we've defined that, but how many have ever said that this is how you do it? <laughs> we, we, thank you for raising your hand, buddy. We do it this way. How many have ever walked into a place and, and, <laughs> and you, uh, we've been defined this, those folks ain't normal. Why? How come? Because you said so? Or somebody else said so? It's just not comfortable for you. How many like country music? Thank God you people are being honest. <laughs> In church, people don't want to admit that they listen to secular music, and all of you do. I could go to your radio right now and go into your car, and before I got there, you'd be trying to change the <laughs> channel. How many like heavy metal? Come <laughs> How many are from the 70s? How many are from the 60s? <laughs> Everything's free in the 60s. Woo! No problems. Don't do nothing. Lay, do nothing. How many from the 50s? Anybody here from the 50s? Mr. Chuck. How many are from the 80s? Woo, woo, woo! Anybody here? I'm going to get real secular with you right now. Is that all right? How many like Def Leppard? Come on now. <laughs> Poor y'all. Never mind. <laughs> uh, I, how, many like, how many like classical? I like it all. How many love the orchestra? The classical. How many love uh, picking on the porch? <laughs> uh, we could go on and on, and if I left you out, just don't get upset with me and offended. It's just you're an owl on an island on your own, probably. There's all different forms of outer expression of what we like and what we like to entertain. But what is God like? What's his style? It's more in its sound of voice and escalation than it is in the actual feeling of it. We've got to be able to ask this question and and so I want to just kind of, kind of walk you down this quick path of why we're going to take this trail. And I want to show you something that happened to Jesus real quick. And, and, and time is very limited in, in this service. So 
I want you to help me to get there real quick, but go to Luke chapter 19. Listen, I want to show you something that happened to Jesus. I love this because it, it just kind of gets us to think a little bit differently. Here in Luke chapter 19, verses 7, 37 through 40, this is really the week out before the resurrection. This is what many of us would call Palm Sunday. The next week would have been Easter. And, and you're going to see that Jesus was coming into town, and, and uh, you can, the reason it's called Palm Sunday is because he had palm leaves were waving and throwing palm leaves in front of him as he's coming into town. They were excited. That would be like us uh, doing confetti. That would be like us doing a foghorn. That would be like us doing pom-poms. That would be like us doing a wave at a football game or something. You know, they were excited because of Jesus coming through town. And, and just listen to what happens here. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voices. Everybody say loud voices. For all the miracles they had seen. See, they had seen some things and they had some understanding of, of who he was and what he could do. And here, he's coming to my town. And it sounded like this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Sound like a preacher or something. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But something happened in verse 39 that was pretty interesting. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples because they're not normal. And they're doing, this is not, these Pharisees, these were religious leaders. And this was not the norm of how worship or expression to the Father. It was more of a, uh, a ritualistic and traditional in its presentation and how it was done. And you had to follow every step according to the next step and the step behind. And that was the norm. That was the formula. And here these guys are stepping out and they're going beyond this formula. And it, what happened is it, 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 that expression, because of what they had seen God, has God done something in your life over the past years you've been on this earth that would merit something more than just... I would venture to say yes. I would also venture to say that somebody is in that place of, and you don't know how to go to the next level. You don't know how to take that grief and that pain. You made a commitment with me. You don't know how to take that grief and that pain to where you can do something with it, and it doesn't do, does, it does not do, does, uh, what's the English? It, it doesn't do it to you. You're actually doing it to it. And then Jesus responded very powerfully in verse 40. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In other words, I'm tired of doing it this way. Your norm's not the way I like it. I like it loud. Now, I'm not telling you we're getting ready to go louder. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it's interesting when you look at that. And Jesus, he's got people coming to tell him, and it happens in church. It happens in concerts. It happens when you're at work. It happens. I was at an amazing service this past week, a funeral service of a homegoing of Miss Rita. Phenomenal. Just, I mean, it was probably one of the best funeral services I've ever been to that, you know, and, and I had the privilege to actually, in, I don't want to say enjoy, but to take this one in. And uh, it was just amazing what happened during that time and, and the tribute that went to this lady. She was 80-some years old, and, and in that service, he, there was about 15 of us maybe, and I counted on purpose because I, I knew what I was doing. There's about 15, maybe 20 people when it came to that moment. I knew if something was happening inside of everybody. You could sense it, and only about 15 hands were willing to go up. Why? Because it's not the norm. It would, it, why would it, you don't do that in a funeral? I get that. 
But sometimes a church service is much like a funeral because people are afraid to go to the next level. So listen, uh, what's the best, what is God's style? What does it look like? We've got to go to the scriptures and find this out. Quit letting man define it and quit judging me because I like this or I like that. I like country, I like all that. No, no, but what does the scripture define when it comes to worship of him, restoring worship into our life? And the best way to do that is let's go to the book of Psalms. Psalms, it just means it's the book of songs. And I think it's interesting, the largest book in the Bible, isn't it interesting that God put that one there as the largest book, the one that's talking about songs and worship of Him. And if you ever read the Psalms and you go through it, which it would be maybe good to do one or two a day or something, it might help us. But if you do that, you find out that, man, there's a lot of shouting, there's a lot of happiness, there's a lot of waving going on, there's, there's a whole lot of things going on. And God, don't you think He's trying to tell us something? Matter of fact, uh, Eddie, uh, 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 Spore, uh, uh, a Saturday, uh, uh, Psalms would be more like a Saturday football game than it would be on church on Sunday morning. When, when, you're, when your team is winning, your team God, when you're winning, when victory's in front of you and the goal's out there and your team is, we're all fighting together, we're all frontlining it, we're all defending it, and we got this great big coach of God backing us up all the way, and, and, and when one of us scores a victory, one of us scores a touchdown, and we just... That's not you on a football Sunday. I'm not trying to bring football Sunday, whatever your sport is, I'm not trying to bring it into the church. That's not what I'm doing. But I am wanting you to ask, what is God's style of worship? And you can only find that out with spirit and truth. To catch the spirit of it, you've got to have the truth, and the truth will bring understanding, and the spirit will be there. So let's look at what it means. How much time do I have? Fifteen? Oh, man, I've got plenty of time. All right. So here we go. Look. In the book of Psalms, it was written, written in, in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek. In the Hebrew language, if you study it, you find out that it's very demonstrative. It's very visual in its, in its presentation and, its, and how, it, how it defines things. So the English writers, when they're interpreting from the manuscripts that we have, they're looking for English words, and we, have a, we don't have as many English words to define what's being said with one word of Hebrew. And so what the English writers did, they took this word, uh, these different words in the Psalms, and they put the word praise to define what was being said in these different Hebrew language of words. And there's seven different words in Psalms, and actually in different scriptures as well, even in the New Testament, seven different uh, Hebrew words to define the word praise that we use today. And so anytime you're reading the, word, the book of Psalms, any one of those scriptures, and you see the word praise, you've got to go look at its meaning to see what's trying to be said within that meaning. And I just want to have some fun with you. I just want to look at all seven of these, all of them, or say all, all seven of these definitions of the word that come from Hebrew that define our word praise. We're restoring worship, and it's outer expression of praise. I want to see what God's style of praise is. You can't do it any other way. You, you can't go down to that church or this church or this church and say, that's how worship is. 
You've got to look here to find out if these are the pieces within their worship, and then you can say, that is God worship. <laughs> yeah, okay. Here's your first word. Can we do a little bit of uh, scholarship together? Can we do a little bit of study together? Can we do a little bit of definition together? The first word for praise that you would see, not in order of service or order, but one of the first words, the first one I picked. Here we go. Hallel. The word hallel is where you would get the word hallelujah. Yah is the God piece. Hala is the worship piece. And so the English writers put the word together, hallelujah, to define hallel and say, hey, this must be about God. Hallelujah. And this word hallel, when you read it in Psalms in the English language, it's going to say praise. But here's what that word means. To rave, to boast, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. That's a stretch. To shine. Psalm 35, eight, verse 18, New Living Translation. I will thank you in front of the great assembly... <laughs> I will praise you, I will boast, I will celebrate, I will be clamorously foolish before all the people. Last time I taught on this, well, one of the times I taught on this, I had a guy, man, he rebuked my clothes off. <laughs> That's probably not a good example. It's amazing what comes to you when you're talking. He said, Pastor, that's wrong. Worship should not be in front of people. It should be in your closet between you and God. Not God style. Hallelujah! In front of people. I know that some of you have been in our worship and it's already, you got your foot going because we can't see it. That might be a stretch. And I know some of you, when it comes to raising of hands, Another definition for the word praise in Psalms, God's style of worship. Yada, it means to extend hands vigorously in public. Psalm 138, verse 1, I will extend my hands to you, Lord, the word there is praise, of the Lord with all my heart. Put your hands up. It's not that hard. The next word is Barak, or the word praise. It means to bless by kneeling or bowing. For all the people that want to be quiet, there you are. <laughs> Psalm 103, verse 1. Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Another word for praise in the book of songs. Zamar, making music to God with Strings. Psalm 92, verse 1. It is good to praise the Lord. It is good to worship the Lord with strings. Now, I'll bring another one in here, and I won't read it to you, but if you go look at Psalm 150, you will see four or five of these different words in that last verse. And it's interesting that God takes the very last chapter and summarizes the whole book of songs and says, look, make some noise. And, make, and he doesn't say it's got to sound good either. He just says, make some noise. 
And if you come up here, it's going to have to sound good. I'm just telling you that right now. Shabak means to address in a soft, quiet tone. No. The word Shabak means to address in a loud tone. It means to shout. Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Now, it's interesting. This next word, I want you to see it because there's two references to the raising of hands, which is for some reason it's the most challenging thing in any church service or any place in a congregation setting of people. I think it's because of pride. I think it's because of ego. You don't want to be seen for some reason. Don't acknowledge who you are because nobody else is doing it. I get that. Now, listen, let me tell you something. When it comes to this thing of outward expression, the question you got to always ask yourself in any setting, wherever you are, am I drawing attention to me? or am I really drawing attention to God? You answer that one very quick, you'll figure out what you need to be doing. If it's not taking it to Him, you say, well, I am. I'm just kind of opening the door for everybody else. Yeah, maybe so. You'll figure out in about five minutes if you open the door or not because nobody will be doing anything or everybody will be doing what you're doing. It's that quick. But if we're that person, we've got to be so dogmatic about this and just get and make it happen and get and make it do it and eventually they'll catch on. That's pride. That's ego. It's the wrong motive. You are not God's leader. He's the leader. And if you stay with Him as focus, you'll find out that there'll be a heart expression that'll be true, it'll be real, and people will be involved. And number two, reference to this, he says, Todah means to lift hands in adoration, vigorously and in public. Two different Hebrew words defined by the word praise in our English language because of limitation. And he says, there is lifting of hands. My guys, come on. This is God. This is the universe creator. This is the guy that's got your purpose. Why in the world is it so difficult in front of people for us to just do this? What are you trying to tell people? What do you just what do you not want them to know? Don't give me that bull that it's your, not your personality. This is God's personality. This is his style and he says you were created in his likeness and his image. I'm not trying to get you to be a screamer. I'm not trying to get you to be a twirler, a dancer, and a flagger. I'm not trying to get you to be, <laughs> we'll never have flags. I'm not trying to get you to do any of that stuff. I think it draws attention to the wrong place. I'm not trying to pull you where none of us want to go into a place of uncomfortableness, but I am trying to show you a style of God's. It's not based upon church to church, service to service, congregation to congregation. It's based upon the internal decisions that you're making in your heart, the disciplines of, of, man, he just has set me free. And you can't judge somebody in their expression because you don't know what the story is behind the expression. So when you see somebody doing something that you're uncomfortable with, go back to the understanding of the Scriptures. Are they in the Scriptures? And yes. A couple more. Running out of time. This is my favorite one. The Hebrew word for praise, praise, another word for praise in the Psalms, is tehillah. Because it reminds me of tequila. Because it has the same effect if it's done right. I wouldn't know. Tehillah, it means to exuberant, have exuberant singing. Psalm 34, verse 1. 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His tehillah, not tequila, his tehillah shall be continually in my mouth. Your praise and the expression of faith from your voice of victory. And there is a shout, there is a sound to it, there is a stretch to it, there's an expression with it. And why are we sitting on it? Well, that's the worship team's job. No. It's their place, it's their call, it's their anointing, and you have the same kind of call and anointing, and when we come together, and the Bible says when we're in unity together, we make much power available. i got three minutes, and i got to give you this. I woke up yesterday morning, and there's some more things on your app. You can go read it, and, and i give you some things about coming back to the heart of God and, and understanding that, that that's the first commandment, is to... That, Ask yourself, am I all in in God's heart? Do, you know, is my heart and soul and mind all in this? That's where it starts. But I, but I woke up yesterday morning and I couldn't sleep almost the whole night because he kept telling me, tell him why, tell him why, tell him why, tell him why. Because you need to have reasons why you're doing this. Not just doing it because you said to, but what is the reason? Do you realize the Bible says in Psalm 22 that he inhabits the praises of his people? And the word inhabits is very eye-opening in its expression, very eye-opening in its definition. He comes and starts to have conversation with you. Instead of having conversation all over Facebook and Instagram, have a conversation with God. As he begins to talk to you, what happens is a transformation begins to take place. A softening starts to take place. Oh, come on. And the word inhabit, you don't want to know what it means? It means that, that your God, while you're in this place, <laughs> that he is sending out angels, setting up ambushments. When you're praising, when you're worshiping, they're out there before you. All you got to do is just kind of rest back and fall back and do no work but worship him. And he's taking care of your story out there. That's the heart of restored worship when you understand why we have the expression. Why would you ever want to sit down on it? I got some stuff working out there that I need some bigger footsteps of help than you and me and anybody else. And I just found out you got to get the praise. Out. Oh, one, more, one more and I'll let you go. <laughs> it, uh, I'm telling you. It will stir up a place of the spirit of faith that you can see things beyond your imagination being done. In the book of Judges, chapter 1, 1 and 2, and you can read the rest, Joshua was before, and he was the leader of the children of Israel. And Joshua had just passed away. His, his time on this earth had come to an end. And so the children of Israel were at loss, and they're like, because hey, he was such a great leader. Remember the first chapter of Joshua? Be strong and courageous, and, and he carried that whole heart of, through the children of Israel. Let's be strong and courageous. We can do anything. And here's this leader. He dies. And the children of Israel, they questioned God. They went to God, and they said, God, what do we do now? Who's going to fight the Canaanites for you and I? The Canaanites would be the type and the shadow of the world of challenge and trial that you're in right now. Who's going to fight for us? <laughs> and God responded. He says, I'm going to choose Judah, and I'm going to send him out first. Judah in the Hebrew means todah. <laughs> I'm going to send out the shout and the praise, and you'll never be defeated with shout and praise in front of the battle that you're facing right now. Stand up with me this morning. 
I'm going to give you an opportunity together here for just a few seconds, a few minutes. Don't do anything that you're necessarily uncomfortable with. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But I am telling you to worship with spirit and truth. Now you have some understanding of the why. And now you have some understanding of what's happening while you're doing it. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3, 2, verse 20. The Bible says that this God that we worship, that we praise, will do more than you ever think or imagine as you come to this place. Hallelujah! Of worship. That's restoring worship. That's the heart.